0: Hello and welcome to Combat and Classics. I am
1: Brian Wilson from Dallas, Texas. And I'm Jeff Black, faculty member at St. John's College in Annapolis.
2: And I'm Lise Van Boxel, faculty member at St. John's College in Santa Fe.
1: So today we're going to give you
0: a little taste of what being in seminar at St. John's is like. We're going to Talk a little bit about the nature of seminar, how we run it. You'll get a taste of it and kind of listening in on our discussion today. And we're going to be talking about Sophocles' play Ajax. Um, so, Jeff, do you want to uh, start us off a little
1: bit on what is seminar? Sure thing, Brian. Uh, so, seminar is the name for one of the classes at St. John's. Uh, there are usually two faculty members and around 15 students in it. And uh, what we do is we read a book together. And then we get together, and uh, one of the faculty members will ask an opening question, and then folks will discuss it. And the rules are that the conversation can go really where it wants. Um, Reason is the only authority in the discussion. And we look to the text uh, for uh, passages to support our interpretations and to answer our questions. Now what we're going to be doing today is not exactly a seminar. Typically the faculty members in seminar tend to be pretty quiet and they'll just ask questions from time to time and it's up to the students to do most of the talking. But because it's the three of us here and because the folks who are listening haven't necessarily read this book, uh, we're going to be having a slightly different conversation. We're first going to talk about uh, Ajax, the story, what's in it, uh, and then we're going to talk about what questions we have about it.
0: Sounds good. We're also going to put uh, Stringfellow Bar, uh, his his essay Notes on Dialogue um, in the show notes. So uh, Stringfellow Bar was uh, the founder of the program, co-founder of the program would be a good way to describe it. The program being what we read and how we do things at St. John's. So if you're interested in some kind of further notes on what is seminar, because it is a fascinating subject. It might seem very esoteric to some of our lay listeners. Like, why are you talking about like how a seminar runs? I know how a seminar runs. And it's like, there's, there's layers and layers in this thing. And it's pretty cool. And also, you know, Jeff's comment about you know, the only authority we have is reason. That was something that was, Kind of very interesting to me, Um, you know, when I learned about St. John's and started to research St. John's, you know, this idea of faculty not doing most of the talking, this idea of, you know, reason is the only authority. It kind of blew me away a little bit. And also in the in the notes on dialogue, you know, the idea that uh, taking notes is discouraged, but doodling and smoking are totally fine. (laughs) This is this was this was much different than my experience at the Naval Academy. Uh, And so and very refreshing. Um, those things help you listen, right? Yeah, they help me listen. So, um yeah, it's 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 a terrific essay and so you can check out the show notes on the on the website and on the pod to uh, to learn a little bit more about that. Let's let's talk about Ajax a little bit. Least do you want to kind of give us a little bit of an introduction on the play?
2: Yeah, sure. So, first of all, Sophocles lived at about 406 BC, so uh, a while ago, there are three main characters, two really, but a, but a third one's important in this play, Odysseus, who's known to be very um, wise or cunning, often Socrates compares himself to Odysseus, Ajax, who's a very sort of forceful manly warrior, and uh, probably the best fighter in the Iliad next to Achilles, and then Athena shows up at the very beginning, and I'll, I'll summarize why that's important, Um, So the two warriors, the two men, Odysseus and Ajax, are quite different in character, and that seems to be a major theme of what's explored here, which we'll get to. But so the play opens up with um, Odysseus tracking um, Ajax uh, because some sort of of catastrophic event has occurred, namely um, Ajax has slaughtered a huge number of animals, believing that he slaughtered um, the Greek army and particularly Odysseus and the two kings um, that led the coalition against Troy, and it looks like Ajax has sort of lost his mind, and Athena is with Odysseus and claims that she caused him to lose his mind and therefore to kill these beasts instead of instead of human beings, instead of the men he was intending to kill. Um, Odysseus, is the, he doesn't really want to see Ajax in this Condition that he's in he's afraid, but Athena sort of forces his hand, and one, one really ought not to say no to the gods typically, <laughs> and so he does see Ajax in this um, distraught state where he still thinks that he is uh, torturing human beings or um, exacting revenge but the approximate reason he's trying to seek revenge is because and this, this is not in the play but in the background is because there's been um, um the best warrior's arms, and the best warrior's Achilles, after he's uh, died are awarded to one of the fighters at Troy. And in speaking of just military prowess, sheer military prowess, it should have gone, those arms should have gone to Ajax, but the uh, leaves of the coalition gave those arms to Odysseus. And so Ajax rightly feels that he's been um, unjustly t- treated and this causes him to be furious. Um, And so he he seeks to kill these men. So after um, Odysseus sees Ajax in this distraught state, uh, Ajax recovers his right mind or comes out of this fury, and he realizes that he's killed beasts instead of men. And he's not um, distraught about his intention to kill the men, but he is distraught (laughs) about the fact that he didn't, and that he killed these beasts instead, and that he seems to have... um, sort of lost control of his mind. And as a result, uh, well, actually, let's make that a question. Later, (laughs) uh, after he's recovered his mind, he commits suicide. Um, At which point Odysseus, who openly recognizes that Ajax was his enemy in life, proves to be quite gracious, or it seems to be he's quite gracious in death and prevents um, the leaders of the coalition, namely Agamemnon and Menelaus, two brothers that uh, were in charge of the coalition, from um, mistreating Ajax's corpse by not allowing it a burial. And and Odysseus basically says, that's not acceptable, that's not kingly. that's not the way to treat this human being um, who served you so well um, voluntarily in the war or as a result of the coalition. So that's a sort of broad sketch. Um, but it's a complex play, so uh, did I miss anything? Any of you guys want to add anything, any part?
1: No, I don't think you missed anything. That's a good uh, summary of what's going on in the play. Um, the only thing I'd add is you know, about two-thirds of the play are the events that lead up to Ajax's suicide, and then maybe the remaining third is this discussion of whether it's right to bury his body or not. And so there's a a kind of um, interesting shift in the play, in the focus, from him and his motivations and what he's thinking to the question of the treatment of his body once he's dead. Um, And also I'd say it seems to me that there are maybe uh, at least three levels of things going on. We have this story of uh, how the arms of Achilles are distributed and whether that's fair or not. Uh, We've got a story about uh, some things Ajax said when he was younger before the Trojan War that seemed to be impious. And whether um, his death ultimately, um, by killing himself on a sword that was a gift from Hector, uh, the chief hero of the Trojan side, whether that was the result of uh, this earlier impiety. And then there's this third level of um, you know, how to treat uh, the dead body of one of your heroes when that hero is turned against you. So I think there are plenty of things to be interested in in this play and plenty of uh, things that are interesting from a military perspective. Uh, how about you, Brian, anything? Yeah, just kind of dovetailing on that kind of idea of
0: impiety um, and what both piety towards the gods and obedience towards the quasi generals uh, that are you know, somewhat notionally in charge um, Tusser makes the point in you know when he comes on the scene that uh, to Menelaus when Menelaus demands that he not be buried, uh, that Ajax is a man in his own right and is a king in his own right and and came to uh, Troy willingly, and so the level of allegiance that you know he owes Menelaus and Agamemnon is limited by that fact, and you know you you see this in the in the very opening scene. When Athena points out that he, that um, Ajax's tent is at the very flank of the Greek forces, uh, and this relationship with Hector that is kind of in the in the whole play throughout, and so there's something about the the comfort that Ajax feels being closer to the enemy than he does with his own people, and so there's something in that that I think will um, resonate with a lot of folks in the military, this kind of idea of, of going native, right? When you spend so much time overseas, um, you lose touch with your, and I hate this word because I can't define it and I haven't heard a good definition, but your culture, right? And so there's a certain rebelliousness in uh, subsuming yourself to that culture when you Feel almost closer to a different one, so I think that that is you know a, a, not, I don't want to say a theme, but some some part of Ajax's conscious or subconscious, if we want to divide those two things, is is acting that piece out that he's more comfortable with the enemy and fighting the enemy than he is with dealing with his own people, and I think you know another important thing is his relationship with Tecmesa. When we first when we first see him, he he cries for his son. When in his first lines um, Tech Mesa and the chorus are outside of the tent when Tech Mesa enters the tent he doesn't address her he addresses the chorus twice uh, before he even acknowledges that she exists and this I think talks or you know indicates that sense of isolation away from the normal the sense of um, Uh, Distance between, you know, normal life and what what a wife represents in that in that case Um, and how important um, things become and in in what in what order. Right. It's it's his son. It's, you know, what's his his enemies, right? His quasi enemies, because Hector has this relationship with him it's his son, it's his soldiers, right? And it's his hatred of Menelaus and Agamemnon. All those things are put forth uh, as more important to him than, you know, even the existence of his wife or the fate of his wife. Um, And so I think that that's something that, you know, a lot of folks can potentially, uh,
1: you know, resonate with or relate to. Yeah, one thing just occurred to me to add on this question of overview before we get to uh, at least starting us off with a question. Uh, Our listeners who are familiar with the events of the Trojan War might be wondering uh, where this happens with respect to the things in the Iliad and the Odyssey. And so I think we should say, and chime in if you think I don't have this quite right, but um, this happens after the events of the Iliad, right? In other words, Achilles is now dead but before the fall of Troy that's depicted in the Odyssey, right, with the business about the Trojan horse. So this story happens in between the two epics that our listeners might uh, know a little bit about. Yeah, the war is still going on, but it's it's ground on for
0: over nine years at this point.
2: Okay, so why don't I start off with an opening question? I think we already have quite a lot of facts on the ground, um, but I'd like to ask the opening question and cycle, cycle back and pick up some points that both of you mentioned. I think the major question that needs to be asked about this play is why Ajax commits suicide. Um, um, one thinks it might be obvious but the more we dig into the details the less clear it becomes. And I'd like to start us off by pulling out two things that Jeff you started us off with and then Brian you built on. Um, Jeff you noted that the play refers back to the Iliad and uh, what is arguably an impious moment uh, where Ajax claims that he doesn't need the help of the gods to be um, a valiant and very uh, deadly warrior. And um, this comes up again in this play, Brian. uh, We could look at it just as an issue of impiety, but we could also look at it in the terms that you use, Brian, that Ajax is a man who understands himself or wants to understand himself as very independent, um, you know, he's, and, and rightly so. I and mean, this, this is a man who's extremely capable. Um, and yet when he comes back to something that's approximately like, more like civilian life, certainly not the throes of war that they've been in, um, he realizes that he actually does want some recognition for the sort of sacrifices that he made and the feats that he did. Um, and um, the moment when he seems to lose his mind or becomes engulfed with fury such that he ends up slaughtering a bunch of animals rather than the men he intended i think shakes his sense that he is as independent as he thought he was right that there's um it looks like he's sort of not in charge of the world in the way he might have felt that he was when he was fighting at, at war now it turns out in the play that the trope is or the the explanation of that is that Athena makes him lose his mind. Um, but sometimes the Greeks, the Greeks use the gods as a means of explaining psychic, psychic events. Or they're not. We don't simply want to explain away um, that event by saying, oh, well, Athena made this happen. That makes it sort of uninteresting. That doesn't seem true to the play. Um, but that sort of rocks his world, right, when he realizes he is not in charge in the way that he thought. And it's terrifying for him and also he regards it as disgraceful.
1: Yeah, there's, a, I think, a connection between that and um, a claim that gets repeated a couple of times. Uh, Odysseus seems to be the one who can accept the claim. Agamemnon hears it and, and rejects it. Uh, this notion that life is the sort of thing where your friends can turn out to be your enemies and your enemies can turn out to be your friends. And I'm just struck that there seems to be a connection between that and the notion that who you thought was Odysseus turns out to be a sheep and who you thought was Agamemnon uh, turns out to be an ox, right? In other words, uh, things shift in life and maybe uh, Ajax's understanding of heroism, maybe heroism more generally depends on things uh, being more predictable or more stable.
0: Yeah, there, there's certainly <clears throat> that comfort in um, knowing who your enemy is, right? You, if if you have that firm and devoted belief that this is my enemy and I must destroy them, and these are my my comrades and I I have to protect them, and then that gets muddied. You know, it that's gonna that's gonna shake who you are and what you believe. And I think that, you know, because we we talked about his relationship with Hector a little bit, um we've talked about him kind of extricating or alienating himself from his comrades. Like what is what is that next step when you've re- when you've re- kind of revoked your membership in that very kind of linear way of thinking and what are the kind of necessary next steps when You have no one, right? And I think we see that a little bit, um, you know, in in Ajax's first long speech around 440. He talks about how, you know, he's shamed shamed himself so much that his father, he can't face his father, right? He's uh, been abandoned by the gods and he's been used by uh, Agamemnon and Menelaus and Odysseus. And so you have this situation where he feels like he has no one. He has no comrades. He is completely alone, and like Lise was saying, he was comfortable with that to a certain extent. He he could he felt comfortable standing apart when he was honored for his abilities. But now that he's been dishonored, now he's taken his abilities and had them abused and been abandoned by everyone. Then what what options does he have left?
2: Yeah, I could tie that into something else you mentioned, Brian, and and what Jeff said. That is, um, he one option he might have would be to move his allegiance to his family, right? Would come back for war, realize that um, uh, the men are sort of moving on, the men that he was fighting with, and, and now he can resume um, um, this family life. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't seem able to do that. He remains isolated. Um, and that um, seems to bespeak a sort of shift in the sort of world paradigm where the clarity about friends and enemies that he seemed to have, or think he had when he was on the battlefield of this guy's coming at me, therefore he's an enemy that goes now. And it does require a sort of flexibility that he doesn't seem to have, or uh, maybe more importantly, maybe the issue we want to explore is that he doesn't want to have. Mm-hmm. Or he might, it might be that he rejects a world in which um, everything is contingent and particularly friends and enemies, such that you're, you have to always think, oh, this friend of mine right now might be my enemy under different circumstances and vice versa. So maybe we should think a little bit about what, uh, why that might be objectionable to somebody.
1: Yeah, it especially seems to me worth thinking about because the easy answer to our opening question about why did Ajax kill himself is, well, the gods drove him mad... And uh, so he was sick, right? And that uh, allows us to kind of wash our hands of trying to think through whether he was facing moral difficulties or dilemmas that if we, even in our right minds faced, we might find uh, objectionable or even completely unacceptable. So is it possible to discover that the world is a certain way such that you don't want to live in it anymore? Right, That's one of the questions that uh, Ajax is really uh, tr- trying to force us to confront. So, yeah, um, what do we think about a world where uh, friendship and uh, who your enemies are is a flexible thing? This is the world that Odysseus seems to live in, but how can you live in that kind of world happily?
2: Particularly with respect to um, friends and enemies, but also uh lovers, right? They would be regarded as a type of friendship in the high sense. Um, it doesn't typically work out very well if you tell somebody that you love and that trust that you love them, that your love is contingent, right? I love you so long as you know these circumstances apply or you're this kind of person or you behave in these ways. But if you become otherwise, then you're not going to be lovable. So that love is contingent. Most people, I think, at least initially, will find that a repugnant point of view, even if they live that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so why is that? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a hard question. I mean, I am struck by how uh, much Ajax's family life is colored by uh, the friend and enemy relationships, right? In other words, Tecmesa is his spear bride. Uh, he won her through military exploits. Um, the success of his son depends very much on uh, Ajax's protection and military success. Uh, his half-brother, uh, Tusser, uh is very sensitive to the fact that he is the son of his father's war bride, Telamon's war bride. So uh, these, um, you know, for lack of a better word, these military or these war-based uh, uh, relationships Uh, are really defining the family relationships for Ajax. And I suspect that's part of the reason why he can't make the distinction we were wondering about. He can't fall back on a private life that has uh, more stability than uh, the public military life that he's leading.
2: Well, we can see that there is an attraction to thinking um, I am such a person that um, my friends will always be my friends because they're strong enough to overcome or not be significantly changed by circumstance, and so am I. So that mm-hmm. we, we know that we'll always be friends and those other people will always be our enemies. Whereas Odysseus um, has a much more modest view of his own power, actually, right? He's the guy who sort of deals with circumstances in life like a surfer dealing with waves, right? You just You have to just learn how to adapt to the environment. And Ajax is the sort of guy who says, no, I am powerful enough that I just march right through those waves, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and it, I think it's interesting to contrast uh, that clear power of Odysseus, right, which gives him a kind of comfort with the notion that there is going to be a shift in the relations between friends and enemies, so that, you know, in the case of Ajax, while well, Ajax lived, he was his enemy, but now that he's dead, he should be treated as a friend, Um there's a difference between that and uh, what Athena threatens or wants to show him at the beginning of the play, which Odysseus seems at least initially not really to want to see, which is uh, somebody who by the gods has been deprived of his mind. right? And so maybe that indicates that the thing that um, makes Odysseus as flexible as he is Uh, But also the thing that he relies on in his flexibility is uh, some understanding of his own uh, mental power as opposed to his physical powers.
2: Yeah, it might be worthwhile there to just uh, read a a little bit of the text where Odysseus pleads to Agamemnon and says, you know, do not mistreat this man. Um, So my numbers change on this play, but I have it around 1330. And he's speaking to Agamemnon, who again is the brother of Menelaus, who was married to Helen, um, so, so the man who led the coalition to go and retrieve her. And Odysseus says to, to Agamemnon, then listen, don't cast out this brave man's body unburied. Don't let the God's name be so hard. Vindictiveness should not so govern you as to make you trample on the right. I too found this man hateful once before the rest of all my fellow soldiers, since the time I won Achilles' armor. Nevertheless, in spite of his enmity, I cannot wish to pay him with dishonor or refuse to recognize in him the bravest man of all that came to Troy except Achilles. It would be wrong to do him injury. In acting so, you'd not be injuring him, rather the God's laws. It's a foul thing to hurt a valiant man in death, though he was your enemy.
0: It's strange to me that yeah i I like the surfer analogy with odysseus um it seems to me that part of this is that you know public opinion is a fickle thing you know when we first open the play the only one that's trying to track ajax which they're fairly certain it's him right that somebody said i saw ajax coming from the field bloodied with these beasts but only odysseus is following the tracks back to his tent so what What's going on with the entire rest of the camp? Who all know, right? What's going on? Who all have heard the rumor that Ajax has slaughtered the beasts of the field, right? And that, you know, but Odysseus is the only one. Why? And Odysseus is scared of Ajax. Doesn't want to go in. Athena, you know, is convincing him like, oh, don't worry about it. Like, you're, I'm going to make you invisible. But Odysseus is like, no, I, I'm not. I'm not messing with this. So, but then when Teucer arrives the chorus says the whole um, the whole camp, the whole army is mocking Sir, right? So now it's at first, it seems like because no one else comes with Odysseus, that Odysseus is the only one that is not standing up to Ajax, but the only one courageous enough to even get close to Ajax. Everyone else is hanging back because maybe they're not sure what the public opinion is going to you know, kind of morph into, or they're just afraid of his wrath, right? But by the time word gets out uh, of what's going on in a more concrete fashion, now the whole army has turned against Ajax. And I think that's interesting and reinforces the idea of isolation, right? Nobody before Odysseus and the scene that you just read, Lise, is standing up for Ajax. Nobody is saying, hey, the guy's got a problem, you know, he's he's been a good warrior, let's, Let's try to help him out. Let's try to fix this thing in a in a with some peaceful resolution. They're they're mocking his brother, and saying your brother's crazy, like he's lost his mind. He's brought shame to himself, and I just wonder, like, what? It, it's hard to read into, but I'm wondering what that kind of mentality of Agamemnon, Menelaus, the rest of the army, and kind of how that evolves. And, you know, those are the only clues that I have in there is that Odysseus comes alone and then the whole army mocks him and then Menelaus commands Tucer to sort of not bury him, Odysseus stands up to him. But I'm just, I'm trying to put myself in those shoes of, you know, a member of that army and how I would react publicly, how I would react and maybe privately.
2: So the two high-minded, the two real heroes are Odysseus and Ajax. And it turns out that Agamemnon in the Iliad is is not a very good commander. He's, uh, Odysseus constantly has to step in and try and undo the stupid decisions Agamemnon makes while also trying to preserve something of his authority. Um, and I think you see something of that pettiness here um, that is um, in, the, in the observation you make, Brian, that they, they kick the man when he's down, literally dead, actually, right? Um, uh, whereas Odysseus at the beginning, he might, he regards Ajax as his enemy now, but there's still respect for Ajax as his enemy. So I take it at the beginning of the play when he's tracking Ajax, yes, overcoming to some extent his fear, although you're right, of course, he does not want to, he does not want to confront this man directly. But it occurs to me part of the reason he's tracking him is because if he caught him, if he was able to sneak up on Ajax, who I think is the superior fighter, he kill him right and in other words he's able to recognize that Ajax is a serious threat and that Ajax will kill him and in fact thinks he has or is in the process of doing that um, and yet there's not um, he's there's a respect still tied up with even that relationship at the beginning mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah in fact if odysseus uh regards his strength with respect to Ajax chiefly to lie in the realm of words. And if he's wondering whether Ajax is in his right mind from the very beginning as he's tracking him, he might have uh, the fear that uh, he wouldn't be able to talk Ajax out of whatever he's up to, right? And that would suggest you know, he, he can't confront him openly. If he catches him, he has to kill him. But uh, he, he certainly would want to know exactly uh, what Ajax is thinking. Um, that guided the strange behavior that he sees.
2: Absolutely. And the same flexibility uh, Odysseus has that helps him do this surfing thing um, is connected with his recognition, again, back to the notion of contingency, how much our own circumstances and we ourselves can change. That is, I think Odysseus can recognize that Ajax is not in his right mind at this moment. He might be overcome by fury or he might literally have just... um, Uh, be not encountering reality properly. But Odysseus seems to be aware of the fact that that might happen to him. Right, That we cannot be sure about our own futures or fates. And that brings, that I think that helps him uh, not be mocking in the way the other characters are. Mm -hmm. Now the other characters might at some level recognize that they're not as in charge of their fate as they might want to think. And maybe their fear is what contributes to the fact that they mock. Whereas Odysseus it seems to be a much more cautious realization of, of what human life is like.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's um, difficult to get in the heads of the mockers because they've just seen what looks like Ajax turning from a friend into an enemy. Now, what do they make of that? Why don't they want to know what's going on in his head? Uh, but apparently mockery is, is their answer to the situation. I think they must think something like, well, he was always an enemy right? It's it's just his true colors coming through now. Uh, Something like that seems to be the only justification for the treatment that they want to give to him and his family.
2: Which shows their fickleness, because presumably if he, when he was fighting in the war, and Teucer, who's um, uh, Ajax's brother, reminds Agamemnon of how Ajax saved him on a number of occasions, at those moments, those men must have been thinking, oh, this is definitely my friend. So again, a sort of Um, they don't have the, Ajax and Menelaus don't have the sophistication of either, uh, sorry, um, Agamemnon and Menelaus don't have the sophistication of either Ajax or Odysseus. They seem to sort of mindlessly try and occupy a middle position without sort of owning it or recognizing, taking a stand for the principle the way at least Ajax does. He's at least trying to say, I am the sort of man that knows who my friends and enemies are, and I don't want to live in a world or arguably don't want to live in a world where those things are contingent.
0: I think something that kind of belies that Ajax is not good at navigating that, right, is, you know, the fact that the opening scene happens at night, that, that Ajax goes out at night to try to do this, and Ajax is is a daytime warrior, right? Ajax is somebody that when, when we get on the battle lines in the morning, like, he's right out front, and he's ready to go. And Odysseus is comfortable right there's a whole chapter in the Iliad in book 10 about the night raid Where Odysseus arguably does the most damage right where where he actually takes the fight to the enemy In a way that he's very comfortable and that's the first time we see Odysseus in this play right? It's stalking at night and Athena makes the point that you know often he sees she sees him stalking at night so I think in this setting we see uh, a manifestation of the character, right? That Ajax, when things are vague, when things are dark, um, when when the enemy is not clear, will will not be able to um, kind of demonstrate his excellence. But with Odysseus, you have the exact opposite. He is more comfortable at night. He is more comfortable with that, and that that honestly resonates, you know, with me a lot, right? Because you know, I know in Iraq, we. You know, when just going through like basic officers course when you start doing night ops it's it's weird right it's just strange you're not used to being out at night in the woods uh, and you kind of think you hear things and you think you see things and you they're not there right especially when you're really tired you know like I remember hallucinating walking around at night at some point though for many people you're more comfortable at night you know I know on a rock, like, we we were just way, going out in the daytime, you're like, hmm, do we really want to do this? But going out at night, you were just way more comfortable. And so I think that there's something in, you know, the character as a fighter and what kind of fighter they are that they want to operate during the day and they can operate during the day when things are more clear versus people that can, versus soldiers that can operate at night. Um, and I'm just you know I just wanted to draw that point out because I thought it was you know interesting I don't know if that takes us down a dead end or not but
2: I think that's useful, Brian. You remind us of that the scene in the Iliad the other uh, aspect of that is that um, so Odysseus goes out with another man and they they catch a scout from the other side uh, named Dolon um, and they tell him. Not Odysseus, but the guy that Odysseus is with. Uh, you know, we won't hurt you, but give us the information. And Dolan gives him the information. Then, of course, they kill him, right? And so there's uh, they lie to him because it's pragmatic to do so under those circumstances. My sense is that that would be something that Ajax would might have difficulty doing for the reasons you suggest, a different type of, of fighter, a different understanding of um, what is honorable in in war. And again, that seems to tie back to the notion of uh, to what degree life is contingent. So let me bring in just another episode from the Odyssey that I think backs that up, that that recognition by Odysseus. When he um, goes back to his homeland and he's disguised, and he's trying to test to see what the people are like that he encounters. He comes home and there's a bunch of men in his house courting his wife. And he's dressed as a beggar, so he hasn't revealed himself. And his constant refrain to them is, uh, I too was a king once, but now I'm a beggar, and you ought to know that that could happen to you, and therefore you should be treating me well when I ask you for food and shelter. And they won't do that. And And he seems to conclude from that that because they're unable to recognize that life is contingent, they somehow can't be civilized. They can't be incorporated back into society. Mm -hmm. Do we want to go as far as that with respect to Ajax? Is that part of his problem, or do we want to say it's something different?
1: You mean that uh, recognition of contingency, something like uh, wars end and peace treaties need to be made, right? That that's an obstacle to um, uh, the transition back from wartime to peacetime?
2: i was wondering that yeah yeah, it, yeah. It, it's clear that the thread of uh, what we said earlier on that ajax um does not want to accept the contingency of human life he regards that as um and maybe rightly so as an affront to his sense of his own independence and his ability to command himself right and then he comes face to face with this very obvious example um that he can't in fact always command himself that maybe none of us can including not knowing when you're killing a sheep as opposed to a person, right? um... Yeah, the
1: the, uh, thread that seems to me to bear on this is the suggestion in the play that um, the gift of Hector somehow killed Ajax, right? So uh, there was a single combat in the Iliad between Ajax and Hector, uh, it was conducted in daylight, and they agreed not to use any crafty strategies against one another, but just to strike directly. Uh, the combat looked like it was going in Ajax's favor, and if he had won it, uh, presumably, as long as everybody could see the outcome and judged it fair, the Trojan War would have ended there. Um, but it was cut short by the arrival of night. Right, interestingly enough. And uh, Ajax and Hector exchanged gifts, and the sword... That Hector gifts to Ajax is the sword that um, Ajax eventually puts in the Trojan earth, right, and uses to kill himself. So, uh, to what extent? Maybe this is uh, this points to uh, the thought that your question is exactly the right one. Uh, it looks like uh, the openness to friendship with Hector or the recognition of kinship with Hector that um, uh, is involved in the exchange of gifts is uh, kind of metaphorically what kills Ajax, right? And that would suggest that, yeah, there's something about peacetime, there's something about the recognition that you have more in common with the heroes on the other side than you do with your own fellow soldiers um, uh, is, is, uh, is, is lethal or mortal to Ajax, that thought.
0: I, uh, I think that might be a, a good note to wrap up on. Um, we're about at our time, less least, would you like to add anything else?
2: I think that's a a very good place to end because it's very perplexing and I don't have any answer.
0: And I, I think that that's, you know, for, for our listeners, that's, that's why we spend time with the great books. You know, we make this point in our prospectus of, you know, uh, a lot of military learning is built around, uh, you know, terminal, what's called terminal learning objectives and enabling learning objectives, as if there is some end state to what you can learn. Uh, and what we find with, you know, what we call the great books is that there is no end, you know, you can start with a question and oftentimes you're going to end with even more questions. And that's something we're trying to bring to military education through this program.
2: Which is uh, not to say you don't learn things on the way. Right. <laughs>
0: uh, so thank you, Lisa. And, and thank you, Jeff.
1: And um, thank you, Brian. Yeah, thank
2: you. Yeah.
1: Pleasure. Hope to see you all at the next episode. Till next time.
2: Till next time. Bye-bye.